0: even to choose to do it differently than how we were parented can be the most impactful thing. I mean, our, our kids for better or worse, we're going to pick up good things from us and terrible things from us. And uh, to the degree that we can impart good things, you know, that is stuff that goes on and carries into their lives, hopefully to future generations. but even just in their own circles to, like you said, and I like what you said about using it differently in terms of power to raise kids that are aware that power is something that exists, that you have more of it than you realize sometimes, and that you want to use that for for good.
1: You're listening to Chief Executive Auntie, the podcast exploring the work lives of Asian Americans beyond the conventional doctor, lawyer, and engineer. I'm your host, Jennifer Duan Faltz. I kind of hate to admit this, but I was definitely not a feminist well into my early 20s when I probably should have known better. I grew up in an environment so steeped in patriarchy and toxic masculinity that I thought, Well, of course, there are some things that men are better at than women. That's just the natural way of things. I didn't think to question this until, well, several years ago, honestly. My guest today is Eugene Hung, whose blog Feminist Asian Dad is the top Google-ranked Asian Dad blog in the U.S. Eugene is also a math teacher, so shout out to Teacher Life, a state-certified sexual assault victim advocate, and a public speaker. Welcome to the show, Eugene.
0: Thank you. Good to be here.
1: So I feel like the words feminist Asian dad are not ones that I typically would have expected to see together. What does, what does a feminist Asian dad do all day?
0: Well, besides uh, trying to pay the bills and, and feed the, feed the children of the feminist Asian dad. Um, I think it started for me as, it, you know, it, it should not have taken becoming a father to daughters me to start thinking about well what is life like for girls and women growing up in our society uh, what are the injustices the oppressions that they face um yeah but that should just be a human issue so i should have cared about it just for that but it did take becoming a father of the daughters to to start reckoning with that and thinking through the fees of the influences and and um barriers that they're going to be contending with and and for me feeling like you know i'm not okay with just trying to parent them and help them navigate this world i i i feel like i have to do something more so that's what gave rise to um identifying as a feminist and starting the blog with, i mean i've been blogging for several years but to actually launching out and having my own blog and calling it feminist Asian and
1: Yeah. Um, So how did you get started in blogging and writing?
0: It actually started, um, I was a church minister for a long time. And so when I left my last pastorate, this is so eight, eight and a half years ago, um, uh, there was a, an organization, a faith-based organization that helps people with uh, eating disorders and body image issues and Um, they're a really legit organization. They do a lot with therapists. And so they're definitely not one of these praying you'll be fine type, you know, goofy Mm. orgs. But, um, so they, they were looking for somebody to blog on their parenting type vertical. And my kids were really young at the time, like five and two or six and three or something like that. And, and, but they were, but they were okay with me just kind of writing about how do you parent kids in a way that's emotionally healthy? so that that kind of helps set them up for a better relationship with their bodies and with food as they get older. And because, I mean, everybody is bombarded by these things, but especially girls and women, right? Zillions of messages every day, um, that they're not good enough, that they don't look good enough. And if they buy this thing or that thing, then they'll finally feel good enough. And, um, so that, that was my start in blogging and, um, eventually that led to me connecting with a lot of feminists from not just a faith background, but from just across the board, uh, just all kinds of um, belief backgrounds and heritages. And, and I learned a lot from just listening. And a lot of those folks were really patient to help me understand better what this space was. And that eventually led me to launching out uh, just more broadly to on my own to have my own uh, freedom to cover all kinds of topics.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Do your children read your blog or any of your writing? What did they think? They, they
0: know about the blog. They helped me pick the name. I struggled with the name for a long time. One of the other ideas was to call it raising Mulan, but then somebody said Disney will be very unhappy. With yeah, you. So <laughs> They're very protective. But um, so I don't think my older one who just turned 13 she will read some of it occasionally. Uh, but I think a lot of times the subject matter is um, kind of still higher level or older audience or, or even just more raw. And so I, I don't actually say you should take a look at this very often. Um, be, in part, it's not just those, because of those factors, but uh, because... In part, I, part of why I, I have gotten into this sort of activist space is because I'm trying to protect them from worrying too much about these things. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to, there's part of me that hesitates to put that in front of them and say, what do you think about this? Right. Because then that kind of gets them. Oh, do, do people actually talk about that? Do, are they worried about this? Especially when it comes to things like sexual violence, it's like, well, it's a thing. It's a real fact of life. It's horrible. It's a, it's a crisis that we don't feel like is a crisis because it's been going on since the beginning of human history. But it's not something I want to um, over-highlight for their own awareness so that they're not kind of seeing I'm you to be age-appropriate bad. about it, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: Do you write about your children on your blog?
0: I, I don't. I I've my wife and I decided a long time ago that um, we wouldn't post pictures of them. So they're, they're pretty absent from my blog, social media um, with the exception. I mean, I do talk about them, but I don't put their names. Right. Yeah. And some of that's for privacy and security purposes, but it's also because they get, they can choose what they mm-hmm. want to do later. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, most kids are not going to have a problem. I think when they grow older, and it's like, asking their parents how come you know there are a thousand pictures of me naked when I was a baby (laughs) (laughs) not that we would have done that but just that's that's something that we don't want to put on put on the girls either is is having kind of their whole lives sort of searchable out there
1: yeah do you ever have to think worry about like keeping students off of your social media? I mean, mm-hmm. there are many problematic things on sure. social media for sure, but I feel yeah. like sometimes teachers get in trouble for very silly things. Um, have you ever run into anything like that being more not, of a public internet person? Not yet.
0: Um, there are some students from when I was a student teacher that I found online, and this is 26 years ago. Um, I mean, I was, I was a high school teacher And then I was a minister for a long time, Then I did advocacy for several years. And now I'm back in education and I found some of my old students from the mid 1990s on Facebook. And that's been really cool just to see what they, what they're doing. And some of the stuff is so predictable in terms of the track that you could see them going on. Mm. And um, so it's, it's um, it's been, it's been fun when it's been good. I think there, when, when people do, you know, students do search on me and they'll tell me sometimes I saw this and this, because we Googled you just for fun. And usually, um, usually the conversation goes like, Oh, you have a blog and you uh, call yourself, you know, feminist Asian dad. And and that leads to some cool conversations in part, kind of like what you were talking about, that it tends to be, um, you know, girls or women who are coming to me and saying, Hey, I'm really glad that you are Mm. talking about that kind of stuff. And that's awesome. Because, and and that's, that's encouraging to me. It's like, okay, well, you know, I'm glad some good is coming of of all of it.
1: Yeah. Um, I taught high school biology and that ended up with me being kind of like the de facto sex education teacher as well. And so, and it was always boys who would come up and be like, what does it mean if blah, blah, blah? Or if me and my girlfriend, I'm just like, mm, go <laughs> see a doctor, please. <laughs> yeah. My answer is always gonna I will, I'll explain the science. That's fine. But the answer is yeah. always gonna be go see a doctor, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting, because it was always the boys asking, mm, okay. I think, I think, because I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think boys talk about relationship stuff and they don't talk about sex stuff with each other beyond like, I don't know, the very like toxic masculinity, boring paradigm stuff. I think girls will like yammer at each other and gossip and, you know, get information from each other and probably more likely getting information from their mothers. But the boys are like, I don't have any adults to talk to about this. And so, yeah,
0: I I haven't had, students come up to me to ask about sex ed or sexual health things, but uh, I can totally see that happening. Just, um, it's like, you know, where, where do they go for some good, reliable, knowledgeable, um, sexual health advice and so many, especially Asian American, Mm -hmm. you know, my parents didn't talk with me about sexual anything. Now my mom did with my sister who's right. younger, but, uh, you know, I, I was, you know, like so many kids of, you know, growing up in the seventies and eighties, sort of self-taught, you know, <laughs> um, for better, for worse. Right. And, uh, you know, we have the encyclopedia next to, right, you know, in the, at home and look up any topic you want. And, and so, you know, I don't think that's healthy to, to have no, moorings or people to give some kind of guidance to because it's like like you said that's just the biology mm-hmm. of it it's just you know the physiology or the anatomy and, uh, what does it mean to to even encourage boys from a young age to to understand what bodily consent is about mm-hmm. um, age appropriate like we were saying that you know, in kindergarten, you don't need to be talking about the full spectrum of sexual anything, um, but to just, you know, from an early age, be encouraging boys to say, you know, if she doesn't want to be tickled, she doesn't want to be kissed or hugged, then you don't. Um, and vice versa, and it's true for you, too. If somebody wants to tickle you or to do for them, something with you that you don't want to do, whatever it is, you can say no, and that's okay. You don't have to feel bad about that. Um and so, yeah, it ends up being a lot of times educators who who end up uh, having those things kind of fall into their laps.
1: I am curious um, how have men how have other men responded to your you know, to your messages. I mean, I don't know if you hear from them. I don't know if the readers of your blog are primarily men or primarily women. Um, But I am really curious kind of what their reaction has been. Not that it's a monolith or anything like that.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, I tend to on on occasion, there'll be a a guy who gives me some pushback online, uh, but not, not that often. Partly I turn off the comments on my blog and I encourage people to, I mean, I want to hear from them, but um, I don't want them to put it on my blog in part because I don't want to have to check blog mm-hmm. for, you know, doing the thing. But since I'm already on Twitter, I encourage people to to message me there and I put links to, to do that just so that they can, um, you know, have some way of responding and, and interacting about it. I, I don't hear it when I hear men kind of have a reaction to what I, I am talking about. It's usually, at worst, it's sort of a raised eyebrow kind of, Oh, that's interesting. And, and sort of, you know, they, they don't pass more overt judgment than that. Um, usually th- the men I hear from are like, Oh, you know, uh, I, I need to think about that more. Or, um, I think I believe that too. I just haven't called myself a feminist. And that invites a uh, conversation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and it's, it'll be sometimes with my students because on the first day of school, I'll say, Hey, this, you know, I, I am proud to be a feminist. I don't shy away from that. This is what feminism means. And uh, there'll be some boys who will ask me, maybe not that same day, but later on, you know, why do you, why do you call yourself that? And what does that mean? And I think you can see the gears kind of turning in their heads um, that here is somebody that uh, hopefully that they, they respect as as a, as a fellow male identifying you know, human being and who um, is not um, feeling ashamed for looking out for women's and girls' rights and for leveraging privilege to um, help make things change for the better and, and stuff. Asian, I mean, not just you know, men. Usually, don't push back on men as much as ha- you know. I was, as women. I was just uh, wondering.
1: I was just wondering. Um,
0: yeah, I, I, so like you know, women who say any of the same things I say get all kinds of crap and tons of it, like all the time, and um, and that's that's something that it's maddening and for me as as a as a a man in this space it's like sometimes i'm just like i i don't know i don't know what to do here yeah Um, i want to step in and and say something to defend um my women friends who are blogging about the same types of issues and who are clearly you can see on the twitter feeds getting all kinds of all kinds of bs but just seems like you're kind of whack-a-mole that it's like you, know, you report them here and then they pop up there and, and you know, I can curse them out online and I've done that before <laughs> um, and that might, you know, push them off or get them to quiet down for a little bit, but then they, then they come back, it's, that's.
1: And then it doesn't really break the fundamental dynamic that these, m- these men who are trolling, are going to leave you alone, but not like, you know, like it doesn't, like it doesn't do anything to disrupt that. It's hard. Like if you're, if you're somebody, you know, in this space and you're, you know, you're going to get picked on less, that's fine. That's great. But it doesn't ultimately like disrupt the original dynamic, which I'm sure is, is difficult.
0: And that's, I mean, that's one of the things that I, I think that I've, I think I've wrestled with, um, in the blogosphere. I mean, I haven't written about it, but just because I want to amplify, you know, as a feminist, it's, I, I understand that, that my, my role as a, as a pro-feminist man is not to come out and to make my voice heard above everybody else's. That inherently being a feminist man is to be an ally first. Um, and to not, to not look to lead to say, hey, look at me, wonderful, mm-hmm. sensitive feminist man here. But it's to it's to amplify the voices of women, to amplify the voices of non-binary folks, and to um, to leverage my privileges to create space for that. It's something I, I so often just kind of shake my head and what the hell do we do to to change that online dynamic that lets, you know, like Asian men's rights activist types feel like they have the right to go after women, you know, to go to dox them, to accuse them of being traitors, race traitors for marrying somebody who's not Asian, you know, all those kinds of things that, that uh, they get away with. And uh, I mean, I, that's, that's something I I really wish that we had a better solution for.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we just can just move, you just move the needle, you know, one tick at a time. I, sometimes my, White friends will ask me, like, "Oh my gosh, like, what you know? All this is going on. What can we do?" I'm like, "Go to your racist uncle and go be cannon fodder for them because Mm -hmm. they're not going to listen. They will never listen to somebody who looks like me. But maybe just on the off chance, they will listen to you." So, I mean, Mm -hmm. the the parent—that's not—it's not a perfect, you know, parallel there, but like.
0: Uh, and that, that might be the, one of the harder cases, right. <laughs> but, but, but to, to say, you know, I don't have to convince them of the entire thing right now. I don't have to get them to go out and, and, uh, chant black lives matter, uh, with Mitt Romney and, and stuff, but, but at, at least if I can help them to, to see a little bit better, what it's like, then, then that's a win for today. And, um, just like, you know, other people f- helping me to change gradually over time. Yeah. Um, so.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think one of the things that I have learned or, and am- well, I should say am learning, not now ma- haven't mastered it, but I am learning um, is when I screw up and say or do something stupid and people get angry is le- like the anger is the lesson. It's like, oh, this mm-hmm. is something that they have been experiencing their whole life. And I just like stepped in it without, yeah. without realizing and they have a right to be angry. And yeah. that's the lesson yeah. is that, Oh, this is a big deal. I need to be more careful. I need to educate myself. Um, yeah. And I think I used to get very like defensive, like, well, I'm just trying yeah. to help. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it, you know, it, it, over time it occurred to me, I was like, Oh, like, they are teaching and they're like, I just want to help. And I want to, why won't you teach me? it's like, well, they are teaching me mm. with their reaction. And so anyway, that's, yeah, it's, it's tough. <laughs>
0: and, and that takes certain amount of, uh, well, you know, maturity, but also for me, you know, going through a lot of years of therapy. to, to
1: <laughs> Yes. Therapy to, for everyone.
0: To be okay with, okay. So, um, you know, that, with with receiving some of that kind of reaction um i mean sometimes when people really push back hard uh sometimes it, it can be kind of productive. i think but yeah when people get upset with me it's like let me sit with that and mm-hmm. let me just not brush it off let me sit with that and and uh take that in ponder it and reflect on it and talk to other people about it too not in the way of i'm not being defensive am i or i'm not being you know slightly prejudiced am i but just to, to to try to be honest about self-reflection and um to i mean because it's hard for any of us i think to to say you know yeah i am revealing my own hidden prejudices even still and that's a hard thing for us mm-hmm. especially you know in the progressive movement we like to think that i mean we kind of know that we haven't arrived but we kind of like to act like we've maybe I'm, I shouldn't speak for anybody else, but for myself, oh, no,
1: like, I think it's there <laughs> you know, for, for
0: me is like, well, I, 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 sometimes I act like I, I understand it all. I know it all. And, and, um, forgetting that I haven't, I don't know the half of it cause I haven't lived it. And that's, that's the privilege that I have that I need to, to, to try to use, um, to make things better.
1: Yeah. Um, I saw that you wrote recently about stepping back from activism um, just because of increased responsibility from coronavirus and spending more time with your family. And, oh, man, I felt that in my soul. I feel like, like everybody else, I feel like I was like, 2020, gonna be my year. Got it figured (laughs) out. Nope. Um, Hmm. How does that feel? And what's next? I think...
0: There's still a sense of the. But I think the post you're referring to is the one that called ex, ex- activist guilt. Mm-hmm. And I mean, on the one hand, I know that you never stop being activist, truly. Really, but it's. I really, I still internally have a hard time with because I really believe it when I say it that that the. The biggest issue, that there's not a bigger issue facing our country than violence against women and girls. If 19% of American women experience rape in their lifetimes, you know, according to the CDC, and if 44% of American women will experience some other form of sexual violence in their lifetimes, that is not okay. And that is a crisis, uh, kind of said it earlier, it's a crisis that doesn't feel like a crisis because it's been the state of being for so long. And so I just not engaging as much in that feels like I'm letting people down. Uh, nobody's told me that, um, or said that, but just, and maybe some of that's my own just internal perfectionism, but just, it still, it still does kind of stick, you know, just, there's that, there's that guilty, um, Feeling of ah, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm abandoning the people on the front lines, not that I was ever on the front lines, but not I'm a, I feel like I'm not doing doing my part, and we need more voices, not fewer. and And I think one thing that some people have blessed their hearts they've I mean not not in a sarcastic way, but they've, they've truly they, they're truly helping me to see beyond my my more limited paradigm. Um, that they've encouraged me and said, saying, you know, so look, you are um, continuing to speak out and not as much as you have before, but um, that's, that's still, that's still important. And we have to reckon with our realities, the financial realities of raising a family, um, time realities of, of, you know, our, our children need us. There was another teacher um, who who said to me that that you'd be surprised. There's a lot of space, not necessarily for a conversation as a math teacher. Not, it's not like I can spend whole class like lots and lots of class periods talking about systemic injustice. Although that needs to be more part of my teaching for sure. But um, there's there's a real opportunity as even high school teachers to help kids to engage with these issues. Um, and they're never gonna flip on uh, a podcast of you know, progressive activists. Um, they're, they're not gonna you know, pay attention to the latest you know, online you know, hashtag movements and things like that. But just even you're saying that you're a feminist can can be a powerful thing for some of your students. And and I, I just recently, only in the last few weeks, um, come across a whole group of like secondary school teachers and some elementary school teachers too that are all very social justice oriented. And I found a subgroup of them that's maybe you've you know, experienced some of them too. I'm like, it's like there's this whole group of math teachers who are trying to work social justice more into their, into their teaching and curriculum. I'm like, wow, that is, that's, 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 um, I, maybe I can still be an activist just in a different way than I expected. Yeah. Um, So I'm kind of in this place right now of still feeling some guilt, but not as much because I, I start to see, I'm starting to see possibilities, um, just even he doesn't even have to be talking about um, really explicit or overt injustice. Just even um, I, I like to play music in between classes uh, in my classroom, and um, inevitably that turns out to be K-pop more than anything else. And I, I mean, I I don't understand Korean, I, but it's, it's it's happy music, and so I last semester I had a lot of students at the school I was at that um, they come from you know Korean backgrounds and I heard one kid say to another when I hear this music I feel better about myself somehow mm-hmm. and I was like okay that's that's a small thing but that's that's affirming that this this is this space is, is for them too and so I started to try to come up with math problems one, one of the ones I, I I was most proud of was you know volume of a cylinder in a sphere <laughs> but turning it into a um you know the boba cups that are that have the, the <laughs> they're right the, the cup and then there's the half dome on top you know starbucks too yes. it's like i can turn this into a boba problem and make it into something culturally inclusive um especially in, in this other teacher i was talking about who's not a math teacher she was saying look you flip through math books and it's very white uh, not that it's uh, ethnically purposely that way, but all the people we talk about are, you know, all the mathematicians of old, of, of lore, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're male and they're white. And um, that's something that you could do something about and to just bring awareness of. So just even as my students were submitting, um, starting to submit little biographies of mathematicians for extra credit, I gave them this long list of women mathematicians. And so I'd really love for you guys to focus on these because women have been doing math stuff and being pioneers in the math field for centuries, but we don't really hear about them. They don't get the credit. They get passed over. And so um, just even in that way, I, I think it's like, okay, you know, I can, I can, I can be the activist, at least at heart that, that I still am.
1: One of my good friends has reminded me several times because I keep forgetting and beating myself up over it that choosing to parent differently than you were parented is activism. (laughs) I don't know about you, but it it is so hard. (laughs) It's... Absolutely. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, we've made the decision to parent in a gentler and more I guess like egalitarian like 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 evening out the power dynamic between parent and child and it is so different from how we were raised um it's so it's so hard I because I catch myself I catch myself with my mom's voice like thinking and I'm like nope not gonna say that gonna find a different way to communicate and get through this situation without using power and that is a lot of work. And to me, that is activism.
0: I, I agree. I agree completely. Um, there, there is, uh, this is actually something I, I blogged about a few years ago. Um, when, it was shortly after Trump was inaugurated. And um, there was this, um, this, this graphic that was going around on social media. Um, it looks like it was from like, it was trying to depict like sort of the French Revolution type era. And it's got a, a dad, assume it's a dad. It's got a man, you know, just kind of with a flat. He's sitting in what looked like his living room in the 1800s. He's got a big flag, you know, next to him. Um, and he's kind of going like this, covering his eyes a face palm, whatever. And it, what looks like maybe his wife is standing next to him with these two little kids. Also. So it looks like a family picture. And the caption was, um, when you're ready to start the revolution, but you remember you have to take the kids to the park <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. And, and I don't remember who it was who said, you know, parenting, you know, we use the, we use the phrase resistance a lot early on in the Trump years. Parenting is an act of resistance and defiance. And to, like you said, even to choose to do it differently than how we were, parented um can be can be the most impactful thing i mean our our kids for better or worse um we're going to pick up good things from us and terrible things from us and uh, to the degree that we can impart good things um you know that is stuff that goes on and carries into their lives hopefully the future generation, but even just in their own circles to like you said and i like what you said about using it differently in terms of power um to to raise kids that um, are aware that um, power is something that exists that you have more of it than you realize sometimes and that you want to use that for for good and not for selfish reasons or or for efficiency's sake and and yeah, my wife and I tried to do that too. Um, I we have never used corporal punishment. Um, whereas for me, maybe especially as a boy, I don't know if it was different. If you know, if more girls back then got it, got the got the swat too. But um, just 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 even that, I think is is a step in the right direction in terms of saying. You know we don't have to resort to that we can talk it out and yeah that has created more work for my wife and i like because we want to shut down the argument now <laughs> it's like don't talk about it i'm not you know because i said so um but to uh, try to engage with them my parents you know have done a lot of good things for me but when i was a kid and they were younger too um, it was not okay for me to ever be angry with them. Uh, that was something that they did not, you know. It's like we are here sacrificing for you kids, like, you know, and but for my wife and I, we've tried to give our kids space. To it's okay to push back. They have to do it respectfully, um, but it's okay for them to be mad at mom and dad and to say what they don't like about what mom and dad are doing. And let's let's talk about that. Let's try to do it carefully in in, in a way that's uh, respecting our feelings and theirs too. And I think I, 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 that's partly what gives me hope for the future is that there there's so many people in in our situation where uh, Asian American parents now raising our own kids and it's like the next generation will, I think, be emotionally a healthier generation than, than, say, ours was. And at the very least, they'll be more open to going to therapy. And, <laughs> and um, there won't be as much stigma <laughs> about mental health uh, care. But that, that's part of what gives me hope that even just it's, it's impossible to, to not make mistakes is because parenting is such an influential thing. It has such an impact in kids' lives. Uh, My kids are going to have wounds and scars because of me. I hate that. I hate that, you know, that, that reality, but um, hopefully I can give them tools also so they can talk with me about it. And so that they can articulate that to themselves, to other people and to have a better chance. Like you said, it, at healing and it growing through it, um, you know, kind of we had to sort of, I think our generation sort of had to figure out it its own way, kind of flail around a little bit, you know, and then, you know, kind of secretly, kind of um, poke through the self help section looking for <laughs> looking for things, looking for books that might talk about stuff that we were going through. Um, yeah, I. I agree. I, going back to your earlier point, just parenting in a in a way that's that's healthy and that takes hopefully the better parts of our traditional cultures with what is um, what we see that's good and even say Western cultures. Um, I think that's a win for our kids.
1: Amen. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Eugene. Um, it's always great talking trash with another parent. (laughs) Like a lot of my guests are younger than I am. And I'm like, you know, it's good to, good to shoot the shit with another parent sometimes.
0: (laughs) Love to. And, and so let me just say real quick too, just, um, I, I appreciate you just how you, um, work in this space, both for your podcasting, but also for Mochi. Um, just, I think, I, I mean, I don't know where things are in the, you know, sort of the internet uh, online world, but Mochi is, to me, as far as I can tell, Mochi is still pretty rare it in is. terms of being a place for, yeah, in place in terms of being a place for Asian American women and girls to, to be able to talk about stuff that's real, um, to talk about stuff that's serious and fun, um, to, to you know, just it, I, I thought, I thought it was a big loss. And when Audrey closed up shop, um, a few years back, and I know they folded that into, into the Coriam, um, world or that was part of that world, but just, especially cause I think Mochi, at least at least several years ago, it seemed like it was geared for an even younger demographic, maybe it was teens and early twenties for a while. Um, and I think you said that as the, as the readership has grown older, so the subjects have also advanced in that direction, and even some parenting things too. But um, I think it's marvelous just what you and other folks have done with Mochi, and I'm, well, I'm glad you. that space is there. Um,
1: Thanks so much. So um, where can people find you online?
0: Well, uh, they can find me. The blog is feministasiandad.com. And my Twitter is at ughung, E-U-G-H-U-N-G. And that's probably the easiest place to find me.
1: All right. I will put those in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Chief Executive Ante. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe with your favorite podcast player and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps get the word out about the show and provides the external motivation I need to keep going. You can find show notes, links, and other resources at chiefexecutiveante.com. That's chiefexecutive, A-U-N-T-I-E, dot com. Special thanks to Sue Ann Shaw for mixing and mastering this episode, composing the music, and generally being a good human. Alyssa De La Rosa for creating the branding, and my distribution partner, Mochi Magazine. See you next time.